Check, check, check. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Hope that you're all having a wonderful day. I am packing my bags and heading out for Morocco tomorrow morning. Uh, I got invited by the U.S. Tourist Embassy to go out and give a talk about plastic pollution and environmental activism, which I'm looking forward to. I've never been to Morocco. It has been on my travel list for a long time. And I'm also excited to test out a new podcast experiment uh, that I've been toying with for a long time. I've mentioned it before, but for those of you who don't know, this is a new podcast that will go in tandem with The Kyle Tierman Show that will be short-form travel advice. And the tentative name is Check With Kyle. And I want to help make you better travelers, specifically those of you who love adventure, you love surfing, you love learning about the culture and the history and how you fit into the place that you are traveling to. So I'm going to interview a few different Moroccans, maybe a historian, maybe a professional surfer, a journalist, and by the end of these short-form episodes, you will be a more adept traveler. I will be asking them pragmatic questions, like what's the best way to get from the airport to your hotel room, to larger questions, like what is the political uh, atmosphere like right now? What are the names of people that you need to know in Morocco? What are the words that you need to learn? Um, I want to make you a better traveler. And I want to become a better traveler as a result of this podcast too. And I love seeing the world, so I figured that this would be a good vehicle for me to do it. So if any of you have burning questions that you would like to for me to ask uh, some Moroccans, uh, if, if Morocco is a place that you are looking to travel to, um, this is all a very new experiment, and I rely on feedback from all of you to make these shows better. Um, and, and the feedback that I've received from many of you have helped me hone my skill in hosting The Kyle Tierman Show. So I really do listen and appreciate it. So you can hit me up on Instagram or head over to my website, kyle.surf. Uh, shoot an email to info at kyle.surf. That's it for now. Um, I am going to read you a recipe from the Mexican Keto Cookbook which is a book that I'm holding right here in my hand. And it was written by one of my guests, Tori Borelli. Tori is a nutritionist and professional cook. And um, she wrote this book all about how to cook delicious Mexican food on a keto diet. Um, and her husband, Josh Hall, is a very well-known uh, surfboard shaper from San Diego. Uh, he's super legit. He makes really great surfboards, and he is also a bow hunter. Uh, so he and I both share that passion. And this conversation, we talked about ketosis, we talked about uh, recipes, and we talked a lot about hunting. Um, hope that you enjoy it a lot. And with that, I'm going to read you a page out of this book on how to bake eggs in avocado. I bet you've had eggs before, maybe even eggs with avocado, but I bet you've never had eggs in avocado. 
And here's how you do it. This recipe serves 12s, 12, and the preparation time is about 25 minutes. Packed with good fats and protein, this dish is a perfect way to start your day. Your heart and brain will thank you. Feel free to make just one for you. Plus, it's beautiful, easy for groups, and ideal for a Sunday brunch. The yolk is the healthiest part of the egg and is best consumed lightly cooked or raw, provided that it is pasture-raised. So here's how you're going to do it. You're going to preheat the oven to 450. Remove the stone from each avocado. Scoop out a bit of the flesh, about one teaspoon, to create a big enough hole for an egg to fit into. You arrange the avocados snugly in a small baking dish. Carefully break one egg into each avocado half. If you want, you can crack each egg into the ramekin. That's a new word for me. R-A-M-E-K-I-N, ramekin. I suck at cooking, but I'm going to get better with this cookbook. Ramekin first, and then pour it into the avocado so that you don't break the yolk. Season each avocado by sprinkling salt and pepper on top of it. And finally, bake the avocado egg for 15 to 20 minutes until your desired consistency is reached. Remember, the runnier the yolk, the more nutrients your body will absorb. So keep it as runny as you can. Top each with kocha, C-O-T-I-J-A, kocha, cheese, and serve it with a side of charred red salsa. God damn, that sounds delicious. And Tori Borelli is uh, a really amazing person, and so is her husband, Josh Hall. So please give it up for the husband and wife, Tori Borelli and Josh Hall. Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. It's not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. Let's get it going, everyone. So you live near Performance Archery. Yeah, we're 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 down in Bay Park, so it's about uh, I don't know, fifteen minute drive yeah. from my shop. Right. F- super fortunate. My my factory's two minutes from my house and just I, hop on the freeway and get up there. Yeah. So do you uh will you shoot at Performance Archery? Do they have a lot Yeah, of- they have an indoor twenty yard range. Okay. Yeah, I usually go just to get you know, I just had new strings put on my bow, so I wanted to get that all dialed in after last year and um and then, you know, you got to change your site because you go up. I went up in poundage, too. So, yeah, the guys are super cool. They take good care of me up there. And it's really helpful to oh. to do that. And it's yeah. one of those it's one of those situations, too, where, like, if you if your bow breaks on a hunt, you're screwed. Yeah. So I it's <laughs> very worth it to, you know, dot your I's and cross your T's beforehand yeah. and get everything really ready. Because yeah. if, if it all far, falls apart on you, you're like, wow, that's. Well, know. you can't hunt. You can't hunt. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're the equivalent like, of like on a surf trip and be like, oh, I forgot my fins. Like, yeah, exactly. That's, that's we're gonna be doing a lot of three sixties on this trip. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. You gotta have a good good bow technician. I mean, people have time to become, you know, self sufficient. But you know, between trying to run a company and build boards and then surfing as my main thing that I do, the whole bow hunting and and archery is like added. You know, so it's like where do you find that extra extra time to dive in really deep? But 
um, fortunately, I've become good friends with everybody up there, so it's 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 cool. That I is can, very cool. I go in, I play dumb, like I don't try to pretend like I know anything about it. And that's smart. They just go, you know, yeah, here's what you know, get this, get that, get these arrows, and then just sh- get your reps in. Well, and- it's like <laughs> someone going into your surfboard factory and pretending like they know what they talk about when they don't. Like you can see clear as day that they don't. Yeah. Like there's yeah. no they'll yeah. they'll be able to fake it for about two minutes and then they'll say the wrong word yeah. and you'll be like oh. All right. Yeah. So, but if they go in, they're like, "Hey, I'm happy to learn. I'm a sponge. Like, just I want to soak this all up." You'll be like, "Sweet, yeah. right on. Let's yeah. do it." So. Education. You know, that's what it. it all those guys are, are really knowledgeable up there. It's it's cool. We're lucky. Yeah. So coming from that podcast with those guys, they kept mentioning performance. I'm like, "That's insane. It's in San Diego. All these guys come to come through town. You know, even like Matt Miola comes over and gets his bows built. I think Mark Healy does. Dorian does. Like." It's crazy, you know, and then Dudley always does an event there usually when he comes into town. So, yeah, really fortunate. Fred's like, oh, yeah, I've hunted elk with Bob. Just give him a call, you know. So that for, that was like a huge connection. Right. And know? how do you guys know Jocko Willink? Well, I met Jocko. It's really it's actually a pretty funny story. About 10 years ago when he moved back into San Diego. For, for people who don't know who's who is Jocko. Uh, Jocko Willink is um, a, a retired Navy SEAL that has his own... Um, he's well, a leadership. He, yeah, he, he's like a, a, a business... He does business leadership, him and his uh, partner, uh, Leif. He's also an author. He writes kids' books. And he, you know, Discipline Equals Freedom uh, is his is one of his books. And um, Extreme Ownership, like, he's he puts out... His content that he puts out is really incredible. And everybody in every walk of life at any level of being in a business or working in a company, you can take what he preaches and really advance like your own abilities. But he's a very skilled communicator. Yes, extremely. <laughs> but um, no, we, we, it was, we were, he lives down, down in San Diego um, in front of a couple of my favorite waves. And uh, about, I don't know, it was about 10 years ago. Cause his son Thor had to be like six or seven. And he has a son named Thor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course three he daughters. does. Yeah. Of course he does. And he has three daughters. All yeah. named Thor as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he's great, man. He's there. Spartacus. Get over here. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's already, you know, Thor's, I think just now hit 16 and he's already a, a beast, man. It's, it's a, uh, I feel sorry for the people he's got to wrestle against. Oh, yeah, boy. he's on the wrestling, and his daughters are wrestlers too. Yeah, yeah, I think all 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 his kids, uh, he's gotten into jujitsu. But yeah, anyways, I I came, I was on this wave, and I see him with his kid. And you didn't know zone. it was him. No, I had no idea. I just I was like, hey, I yelled at him going by on the wave. Like, You're gonna get your kid hurt. You know, I'm like yelling from the channel, and he just like looked over. He goes, maybe I will. And I was like, I could just tell his eyes. Like, I'm like, uh, <laughs> Oops, wrong guy. I kind of yelled at the wrong guy. And then the next winter at another different wave, I, I'm like coming around, a, a, you know, through a bottom turn. I see this kid just getting launched in a foamy in front of me. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's that guy and his kid again, you know? And it's like, come <laughs> on, man. And now you can laugh about it. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and then we, he joined uh, one of the surf clubs. Like, um, I'm in the PB surf club, the Winnancy surf club. You know, there's the two big ones up here and, we met uh, at Malibu, which is a classic one in, in September, and kind of he's like, "Oh, I'm like, hey, I remember you." And we just, I don't know, we stayed in touch. And then two years ago at a surf contest in Ocean Beach, um, San Diego, he was there, and I had my dad. My dad's a Vietnam vet, and he's like, "No way! Oh, we should have you guys on the podcast." And I was like, "Really? Okay." It's like you need to do it. <laughs> yeah, and so that process happened. Meanwhile, Tori's like, you're like, you're in the podcast world. So you're like, Oh yeah, definitely. This is a a dude. Yeah. 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 And 
it, it was cool. It was really it 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 was great. Like I was like, because he's a full on surfer. I mean, he 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 lives in front of some of the best waves in town. And um, Jocko is Jocko, yeah, yeah surfs yeah. as much as Sunset he can. Cliffs. Yeah, and uh, it just was hard. It was hard for my dad. I mean, his little podcast room is like this big, and it's all black, and it was kind of hot, so you're kind of claustrophobic. And your dad doesn't talk about it really yeah and it was, it was really good for him i think my, yeah it, it was really good for him but it was really hard because he was just like right on that verge of like crying losing it the whole time right which yeah. after 50 years it's like still that i mean all the people that jocko has on it's like the old you guys feel the emotion. It's, yeah it's like it happened yesterday yeah and jocko knows how to ask the right questions that are gonna he does like, yeah but there you go but yeah. he also helped he, him like floodgates calm open down. yeah yeah like he could see it like he was like my dad was like choked up, like he couldn't talk, and so he would then like lightly change direction. And yeah, tell a story of his own. And yeah, it's okay. Well, yeah, you know, a, a good podcast many times sounds a lot like a therapy session. <laughs> if, yeah. if like there there are professional interviewers that talk right. about that, you know, like you you get to that state where it opens up. Yeah, and you're vulnerable a little bit. You're vulnerable, yeah. and and yeah. a lot of people want to be able to talk about that, but they've never really had that. Ex- the the permission to do it yeah um so yeah it can be intense you know sometimes you think you're just sitting down for a little chat and then all of a sudden it's like tears <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it was it's good though. yeah it's it was stuff. it was really cool going that- back to the uh, but a, an important point that you made here's the deal if you're gonna push your kids into waves <laughs> everyone all you dads out there <laughs> you can do it but you sacrifice your wave yeah. by pushing them <laughs> yeah. in, okay? Because yeah. nothing yeah, you block for them. annoys me more than uh, pushing a kid into a wave and then you get the next one. Yeah, oh, yeah. you're yeah. not allowed to do there that. It's you're bullshit. Automatic back to the back to the back bus. to the line. Yeah, back of the line. Yeah, I'll agree with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was funny. But um, anyways, so we've become pretty pretty close friends, and then he literally, I, I mean, he got an archery his bow the same month I got mine, and and. So we joked around about that a little bit, and he he got to go elk hunting with with Dudley this year and got his first elk. So yeah, just crazy. And then you did as well, or or yeah. when you you you've already been on an elk hunt. Yes, I. Um, Were you successful? Yeah, yeah, I, I harvested. Wow, a, congratulations! A, a, yeah, with a bow. Yeah, with a bow. Amazing. Yeah, incredible That's ex- experience. Yeah, I, I can't even. That by day two, I I was like, I'm good. Cause we, my guide really knows this area. And so we were in elk like right away the first morning, like I had an arrow knocked within a half hour of the first hunt day and I was, you know, completely shaking and, and all like the emotions that I went through in th- those four days were, were, I've never experienced it, you know? And, uh, yeah, it was, it was amazing. So that was, I, I had a hunt with the shop. The performance archery does these, um, pig hunts in Paso Robles. They'll kind of pick three or four clients that, you know, they get along with and then, and then you go up. So that was in June at Fort Hunter Leggett. Uh, no, it's actually, uh, Paso. No, they Paso have, okay. Yeah. They have some contacts with big, you know, cool. guys that have uh, big, uh, ranch, ranch access. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of pigs in Paso Robles. Yeah. Um, so that was a cool, so that was like actually my first hunt. And then in September, um, uh, on the 12th is when I a got A week before elk. our wedding. So that was really good timing. Yeah. Two <laughs> weeks. Well, yeah. Two <laughs> weeks before the wedding. <laughs> But yeah, that was the experience was was incredible, and f- probably you know getting that elk meat out of there was physically probably one of the hardest things I've ever done for sure. Yeah, yeah, and it puts and then you look at guys like Cameron Haynes that hike in ten miles and then go hunt, you know, solo and 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 do the backcountry like it's just huge respect. Like you can't, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I my buddy uh, Justin Lee, who's a very accomplished hunter in Hawaii, says, "Man, I take guys out hunting. They're crossfitters they're super fit dudes and they just 
fall apart on the mountain. Yeah. It's a whole nother level of physical and mental strength. Yeah. Is is pretty hard to replicate. It's Mm. hard to train for. Yeah. 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 I, I definitely like she bought me one of the rogue echo assault air assault bikes for my birthday in October. So for next year, I'll be, I'll be the primed. devil's tricycle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the devil's tricycle. So gnarly, but yeah. you know that everyone will tell you like that'll, that'll get your, your cardio up and it does. So, yeah. But, um, yeah. 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 Um, you know, hunting is, uh, it's, it's one of those things I, I find too, where like if you can practice, shooting and you can be like hey okay cool i'm good at, at 40 yards i can shoot a good cluster at 40 yards like every time like boom 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 and you don't realize like no actually when you're going to take that shot you're going to have probably hiked for 10 hours your knee's going to hurt oh the yeah the light's going to be shitty you might have to do it while sitting on your ass like yeah, there's nervous. just you're going to be <laughs> super nervous your heart's pounding out of your chest yeah oh, man. so to be able to do it under all of those conditions yeah. and still pull it, it off it like, was pretty surreal like I, the way it came together we we were in so much elk the first two days and we'd found this big six point the third morning the third morning and we basically got to the top of this ridge and he came in so quick and the wind was perfect but then you know there was like 5 minutes where we could we needed to get on the other side of this tree and we got stuck on this side cuz he came in so fast he came to like 11 yards and stopped and Derek's like you know like you know I was all right. I had an arrow knocked and he's like draw your bow and and I had one shooting lane standing Derek was on his knee so he had different angles than I did and one thing you don't realize is how big they are like you don't ever see elk around, right? So <laughs> fucking monsters. So all you see under the tree are legs because they're you know they're they're like four feet off the ground and and it it came around to the right at like thirteen yards and he's like shoot shoot and I'm looking at him going like I don't have I didn't have any sh- angles. It'd have been really irresponsible to just let like let an arrow fly just because this thing's you know thirteen yards away and so he winded us and blew out and. We sat on that hill for 11 hours and didn't move. We didn't go look for him. We didn't hear any other elk. And I'm just like, that was that was the morning of like the emo or that the morning of the emotions where I was like, what am I doing out here? I spent all this money. I've done all these 3D things. This guy thinks I'm a kook. Like, and I'm just, and he's like, why didn't you shoot? And I'm like, I didn't have a shooting lane. Like I just wasn't gonna like oh let me see if I can bounce it off these tree limbs and get one in you know a good clean shot but yeah that was a rough day <laughs> it's man so rough man I mean that I because you lose the opportunity you lose the opportunity and then he's you say and then now you're like now I'm fucking bored like all day we're not doing oh yeah out anything. of cell service I, you yeah. know, I was like writing our vows for our wedding like I was like trying to do every, you know <laughs> what's the plan for 2020 for Josh all surfboards like yeah he's got cell service on his phone. not like, in the he, mindset yeah. to think about the future uh, at all (laughs) so like what's the plan 22 probably just kill myself because i just blew the opportunity of a lifetime cooked it big time and 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 we we caught back up to him in the afternoon like right before um the end of daylight and he just ghosted us like he knew we were there and he slipped out and so the next morning we went to a different range climbed straight up this like 1200 foot hill which was a gas <laughs> because Derek, my guide's a billy goat, 27 years, years old, been hunting that zone since he's, you know, six years old or whatever. And when I saw him pull out the hiking stick, I go, what's that for? He goes, Oh, it might get pretty steep. And I'm like, okay. And we glassed a couple big bowls, but, um, he goes, you know what? Screw it. Let's go back to the cabin, you know, get lunch, relax. Like, and so we did that. Cause the first three days we stayed out 
you know, hiked in in the dark and hiked out in the dark, you know, and um, to be able to go back and kind of rest, get a couple reps in with the bow, eat a lunch, relax. And then we went to this other zone that was like way closer to the hunting cabin that we were at. He's like, yeah, people overlook this spot because they think it's too close to whatever. And we went out there and hiked in about two, two miles, two and a half miles and something. And he let out a couple cow calls and we got, you know, some bugles and that, and he called this thing in from like 700 yards across the canyon and, you know, came in and it was heading at us, but they, you know, they get, I guess they, what I've been told, this isn't, but they, they'll kind of circle downwind if they don't see a cow, but there's a cow call going. And so he's supposed to come into about 25 yards and he ended up, um, coming up further to the left and, uh, range him at 55 and let one go. And yeah, it was solid shot. Um, he was, we were parallel on the hill, so it wasn't like an up or down shot. Um, and he, he had put his head down. He didn't know we were there, so the wind was good. Thank, thank God, because we blew out so much elk the first three days. It was nuts. But he, um, yeah, he like put his head down. He like stopped. So he's kind of just quartering away, and it was a liver, liver lung shot. So a little back, you know, just behind the the last rib. And um, I was like, oh, no, I think I hit it low and back. And then Derek said, because he was about 50 yards up the hill, he, he saw the arrow. He's like, no, it's a good shot. I was like, really? So I kind of wanted to celebrate, but I'm like, I don't know. So yeah, he, they, they know, but you don't know. Like, the guide can always tell you, like, oh, yeah, you got him for sure. Oh, like, I have no idea where he, that arrow went. Yeah, I I know it. I could, because you know, I use the, the nocturnal knocks, the orange ones or the red ones, I think they're called, but which are bitching. So seeing that thing fly, you know, there's, I just remember after that morning where that big six point blew out, my mantra the next day was, uh, uh, anchor, peep, sight, pull through. Like I just all day, that's all I said. Cause now I knew it was going to be loud. Like they don't tell you how loud a, a bull bugle is. Right. So I got that out of the system. Cause that one that came in at 13 yards bugled at us at like 30. And that was like, holy crap. <laughs> um, so I, okay, loud and, and they're big. And so I just had that mantra of, you know, anchor, peep, sight, shoot, you know, pull through and let it go. And, and we ended up, um, we, we found the blood trail and then like looked for like 20 minutes. We could hear something walking real slow. Like he didn't, he never knew we were there, so he didn't spook. So he ran about 75 yards and then we didn't hear him anymore. So we just like let him go. For fun, Derek, he's such a badass. He like called another bull into 20 yards, like while we're waiting for, you know, we waited about a half hour, you know, so just funny. But we, we, we went in the next morning. Were you morning. only allowed to shoot one? Yeah. Yeah. You only you're, you get one. Yeah. One, one tag. He was just doing it for fun yeah. <laughs> uh, to kill time. But um, I've had that happen with pigs though, where like you, you shoot one and then, cause they all come out at the same time. Yeah. And they're like, there's another one. Get another one. You're like, this is an emotional roller coaster for me. I don't know if I can do this. Like, yeah. they're like, no, no, get another one. You're like, fuck, okay. Yeah. Like, it's like feast or famine, man. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. Anyways, we went and got him out the next, the next morning. And, uh, yeah, it was just beautiful to harvest. You know, I think I, we, we, I dropped off 250 pounds of meat and I think we ended up with 210 pounds wow. of meat for, I don't know. We eat a lot of meat. Very so good tasting meat. Yeah. Where do you, so uh, do you guys have an outdoor freezer? We do. Yeah. You do? Yeah. yeah. And what have been some of the best meals you have cooked with us? Um, well, the first night we did a tent, we did the tenderloin. We did one of them. We have, you know, the other one left. And that was amazing. It's such a red, dense, purple, like purple yeah, meat. purple meat. And so I cooked it and we put a, a, a thermometer into it. So we knew it was cooked, but it was like, 
the rarest rare looking steak you'd ever have. But it and melted it, in your mouth. It was unbelievable. And and it's funny because we had elk like the first five nights we got back from our honeymoon. And then we had one of our grass fed steaks that we get from Butcher Box. And that was way gamier than any of the elk we've had. Really? Yeah. Like it's it's been really cool. And the other thing that we did is we've been making meatballs out of the um the ground beef. So we'll take two pounds of, of uh, ground elk and a pound of uh, ground pork and then or add in use that too. Or yeah, you yeah. could add, you could add fat in there. Um, like tallow, uh, grass fed tallow or something, but cause it's so what's, what's tallow. Ta- just the fat. So like lard from the pork. So like okay. if you killed it's, the pig, which he had a bunch of um, pork left over the fat and I just, cut it off and then you just melt it and you have like you can get used it like for high heat or yeah and you'll put that in the syrian. into the meatball yeah. into the meat yeah you know the elk has no fat so yeah they're really lean very lean soup really yeah tastes good yeah yeah we're like it's like eating like a an athlete you know or yeah. something like it's, i mean it's a kind of dark comparison but yeah. like most of the meat we're eating is like obese unhealthy people that are right. super yes, fat totally. but like right. you have an, an elk like that thing's a fucking Super athlete. Yeah. yeah, and I find with my clients that if you're moving someone from eating conventional meat to grass-fed, um, they think it tastes really strong, and it's probably because there's not that same like marbleization from whatever the conventional meat is eating corn and yeah. GMO crap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I uh, just on this last uh, hunting trip, I went on went on a pig hunt. We also had some venison, and I got. Um, one of I got a, a, a meat grinder to make sausage mm-hmm. out of it. Oh, and we had to. So I went down to the local store and we got extra fat and mm-hmm. we got the sausage casings. But oh, cool. it, <laughs> biggest mistake of my life because I thought I got one of the lem grinders yeah. and uh, I was like, okay, cool. All my friends are gonna come over. We're gonna make, make some, some sausages. <laughs> yeah. This is gonna be so fun. I like you can see I have this tiny little kitchen <laughs> <Yeah>. right here. <laughs> It'll be an evening. Great. We got some. Uh, some ingredients. My buddy sent me the sausage book. This is how we make it. We got some jalapeno, some uh, pineapple. Yeah. Like this is going to be great. It was like a four day or- yeah. ordeal. And by the end of it, my kitchen, it looked like a fucking Dexter <laughs> murder. And yeah. it like fat and blood on the ceilings. Oh, like man. it was yeah. like everywhere. And like making sausage, you, you guys might know this. Like it's, it's really hard because the grinder can um it can coagulate in the grinder and it won't go through so like you need to keep the grinder really cold yeah, so it, it goes through yeah you keep it in the freezer mm-hmm. and you can't have like too much cheese in it or too much like there's real oh. important ratios otherwise it it'll gunks just get up. gunks up yeah, yeah. you could even and- put some of the meat in the freezer and so when it's thawing, it actually like goes through cold. Yeah, that helps. That helps mm-hmm. a lot. But um, yeah, I didn't realize, and we <laughs> blew a bunch of the sausage because we're like, okay, we I think we got it because you you know you put the um, the sausage casing over it, and then it kind of comes out. It's like almost like a condom or something, mm-hmm. and then you you twist it, and that's what makes the sausage links. But yeah, if it's too fatty or cheesy, like we put it in the in the uh, oven. And it just disintegrated. Melts, yeah. oh, like, really? It just turned into this Hot like pie. gross <laughs> diarrhea looking yeah. shit. Oh, I was like, no. and we had just this huge pot. And yeah, my, my dad was having a big uh, big party at his house the next week. So I just brought over this huge <laughs> pot of like super fatty, cheesy 
pork that had been because oh, no. we like we didn't grind it right the oh, first so time so we like went in a second time to grind it again uh, but man. what happens if you do the second time is it loses its consistency like you need a certain amount yep. of of like uh just consistency for it to hold its shape right. and like people were eating it with chips and dip and stuff and they're like this is like the richest yeah, like, like eating fat bil- yeah it was like bean dip fat <laughs> <laughs> that was such a bad call yeah, yeah. Oh, no. well, because yeah. because the first uh time i went on my uh, a deer hunt i brought all the deer to um Coralita sausage uh-huh. so there's a spot out in Coralitas that's uh that make amazing sausage but it's not cheap you know you, yeah. like, you, you go in there you have to, you give them your hunting tags to prove that it was all legal mm-hmm. and then um you say okay i want jalapeno cheddar cheesy andouille and um and they will um make you all this sausage i still have a bunch of it um i'll give you i'll give you guys some at the end of this uh but at the end of it, i was like man i should do my own thing because i'm they, they're really ripping me off by charging me all oh, this money i tried to do my own thing i was like i will pay I'll these pay guys whatever you these like yeah. nice little sausages i know but. well that's why they're doing the loose like the loose sausage just without the casing is easier too because then you can just use it for burgers or you can just saute it or whatever but that's yeah. what a lot of people do. Uh-huh. Yeah, they'll do. Uh, they'll do like a one pound like burger bag patty. Of, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Because a lot of meat is really gamey, and it's it's difficult to eat it right on its own. Yeah, that's the the elk is not gamey though, and we made um, some enchiladas with it out of my cookbook actually, and we did goat cheese and butternut squash after Thanksgiving because I shredded it like the like the roast, but there's no fat, so we needed to add stuff to it, and so I seared it in a little bit of the leftover pork fat and then we added chipotle goat cheese and roasted butternut squash and it's amazing yeah so what's the recipe for this um so you cook like a a roast cut or like a butt or shoulder you could do pork or elk or whatever animal you have and then you slow cook it and you need to add a little bit of liquid so you could you could use broth or water whatever just to get the meat to kind of fall off the bone if there is bone and on a lot of his cuts they didn't they left the bone in the field because of the weight. Yeah. So that the bone really helps with also like getting Flav- it to, to flavor, right? Yeah, yeah. The flavor is in the bone and, and a lot of the nutrients. But anyway, so we roasted it and a bunch of seasonings. I put it in. I did like a bunch of chili powder and garlic and um, I think I just kept it pretty simple. And then I once we shredded it, I mixed it with some goat cheese, roasted butternut squash, a can of chipotle and... And put them in. Stuffed it inside of. I use siete foods tortillas, which are like gluten and grain free. And there's actually a coconut tortilla in my cookbook that is really easy too. But this was like over the Thanksgiving, so it was just crazy. And then we, I made my tomatillo salsa that you see right there um, on the cover. And the Mexican <laughs> keto cookbook, everyone, yeah. available now. Yeah, I just launched it November nineteenth. So, so exciting. Yeah. So there's some. That's, I mean, that's the thing with hunting is that it's not, the hunt isn't really over until you're eating the food with friends. Oh, and that 100%. was what I didn't realize. Connect. It was, you know, it's like if you're going surfing, but like putting your surfboard away was just as special part of the experience as actually being out there. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, so yeah. it, it yeah. really never, like the, the real hunting experience doesn't end until you're in the kitchen with your friends and and then there's so like just such so much more attention put on what you're eating yeah that's that's been the coolest experience for me is like you just really you taste the bite 
a bit more vividly. Yeah. And you really don't want to waste that meat. And you want to make sure you want to put that extra time and effort into cooking something that's going to be really special. Yeah. Like well, I've never had anxiety. Well, I don't, I've started to cook a little bit more. Uh, Tori definitely is the one that makes all the yummy meals the best, but I'd never had like anxiety with cooking food until I'm like, Oh, I don't want to overdo the steak, you know, like, cause it's like, I can't go get another pound of it down the street. Yeah. It's like, I've, so yeah, every meal's very like, uh, uh, I don't have such I, a connection with your food <laughs> when you kill something. And that's what I try to teach a lot of people. Like there's just so much, um, nutrition information out there. And I think that if you can obviously get something that's quality and there's nothing higher quality than killing your own animal that's been living this amazing life, right? That has never suffered or had well, pain. And they, and they have a diverse diet. Oh, totally. They're eating things that they're supposed to be eating, not like force mm. fed or shot with hormones or all that kind of stuff. So having a connection through your, with your food is something that, I mean, sharing it with your friends that came over that most people have never eaten wild, wild game. Um, Everybody just that seeing we've... how they like how amazing they're just like oh my god I've never had elk like I thought it would taste like this or I thought it would be yeah. like this right when, I, when never... you offer someone uh, meat that you've killed it goes one of two ways <laughs> right? and it's it's either uh, uh, both of those are very passionate ways right. that, that yeah. it goes yeah <laughs> super it's... into it or super not into it yeah it was actually really interesting to see the feedback that um, when he posted on his like surf you know his yeah I posted his per- on my you know, Josh all surfboards. The feedback that you get because, again, like people really have no connection with their food. They go to the grocery store and I think it's becoming, especially here in Santa Cruz and in California, like people do have more of a connection, but in general they don't. And, you know, seeing the negative feedback that he got, of course there's a lot of positive feedback, but the negative feedback kind of like made me rethink some stuff because I was like, these people eat meat, but then why are they mad that you killed something? And I don't think that people realize really what goes into Yeah, hunting. like... The comments were, were pretty. It, you oh, know. people go hardcore. Do you, yeah. do you know it's a, what is helpful for me about that and just kind of getting into the hunting world and experiencing a little bit of that myself? Is it forces me to reflect on my convictions, like things that I think I'm really right about mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. issues that I am set in stone about? Because those people think that they are really right. Like yeah. they are coming from a moral place. Yeah. And there's no way that they could be wrong. But, you know, you get a little bit more information about the ethics of hunting and about how most meat is killed and even about how vegetarian diets are not, you know, slaughter free. You're still displacing ecosystems with mass industrial agriculture. And you start to realize like, wow, this, this thing that I was so certain about is totally wrong what else might I be wrong about? Mm-hmm. Because we're always yeah. learning, we're always growing. So to to have the mindset that you will never be have your opinion totally flipped on you mm-hmm. is um it, it kind of it hardens, it ossifies yeah, the mind eye-opening. and the learning process. So yeah. that's it, it. Always is. It's a good reminder for me whenever I have someone who's you know filled with hate and vitriol because yeah. they want to take a moral stance. Just be like, wow, what am I still passionate about and wrong about? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, or yeah, to look a, at the other side is also huge. But scientifically speaking, just looking at like nutrition, it's going to be better for you, right? Than right. Eating something commercial. So, so what for? What is ketosis, and why do a whole Mexican cookbook based off of ketosis? Why not just the Mexican cook cookbook? 
So that domain was taken. <laughs> no, go <laughs> yeah. uh, The let keto. <laughs> they put keto on the cover because it's such a hot topic right now, and I tell people like this isn't a trend. This is something that's been happening for a very long time. Originally for uh, seizures and ep- epileptic um, issues that people were facing, and it was really helping the high fat. So ke- keto just means high fat, and with high fat, that means taking away the sugar and the carbohydrates. Um, and the, the the main thing about keto is that it's anti-inflammatory. So I try to try to use those wor- words keto and anti-inflam- anti-inflammatory interchangeably because they if you reduce the amount of sugar and carbohydrates you're eating and increase quality fat, so not like French fries or McDonald's that doesn't count as high fat, um, you actually can reduce inflammation. And at the root of all disease, there's inf- inflammation. So if everyone can do one thing it would be to reduce their inflammation they're going to live a better life so right that's one of the big issues with sugar is that oh, it's yeah. highly so inflammatory yeah and it feeds cancer and i mean it's just so I, i'm a integrative nutritionist and i probably get one or two cancer referrals a week and it's just it's been really eye opening and young people too um so mexican i have you know my family has a business uh we have a boutique hotel in scorpion bay and um it's I, I work a lot in uh, Rancho La Puerta and Tecate, and we, I just have really seen um, the amount of diabetes and obesity that's gone, gone, gone on with the Mexican community. And uh, it's really sad because, unfortunately, the U.S. has poured over to Mexico, and a lot of our convenience foods has influenced the way that they eat. But, I mean, we're probably number one, close to number one now in the sickest and out of the whole world, I think I think that we're, think we're actually num- we're num- we're number two. two. Me- Mexico's number one. Okay, yeah. So it keeps changing one and two. They keep going back and forth. Uh, they're ping pong across the border. I know. Yeah. Well, and so. and it's you know you, I was I was down in Mexico this earlier this summer in a very remote part, surfing these amazing waves. Um, you know, down near the like Selena Cruz mm-hmm. area. You know, these little windy roads, like, you know, kind of shacks and you, you stop in and you're like, oh, cool. We're going to get some amazing like fish and like local cooking. It's like Coca-Cola, Doritos. They, it just totally flipped their diet totally. into this centralized, shitty, sugar um, sugar laden system. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's really sad to see how that has just been like all of the American companies like, okay, we're going to go down here. It's cheaper. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's a huge part of it is like people don't have enough time and they don't have enough money. So they're going to eat these convenience foods and people are so fearful of fat. They're really, really scared that fat's going to make you fat. Well, you know, another thing that happened is um, a lot of U S ag companies went over to Mexico and started, um, selling their products, you know, their their corn at a lower price than Mexican farmers could afford. Mm-hmm. So it forced a lot of Mexican farmers out of work. Mm. You know, where in, in agriculture used to be bigger in Mexico and really isn't anymore, which, you know, as you know, like the, the when you then don't have these locals food sources for people to eat and they're importing this shit from halfway around the world, it makes people sick. It makes makes them die mm-hmm. more quickly. And right. uh yeah, I, I think it's it's a real uh, potent form of activism, really, to to get back to the food source and what yeah. you're eating three times a day. And, and yeah. there's so much in it, you know, with the ethics, with the health. And um, people always ask, you know, like, how can I change the world, right? And it's like, <laughs> shit, yeah. start with yourself. I know. Start, start with, your, with your kitchen. 
Yeah. Well, I always tell people, I'm like, if you don't feel good and if you don't live preventatively, whether you're healthy now or not, like you have to think about the future. And if you don't, if you're not healthy, how you can't even enjoy your life. You can't do anything fun if you don't feel good. Yeah. yeah. And so often I see, you know, young people, yeah, with cancer, but I also see people that just are dealing with like autoimmune symptoms and they just, they think that that's how their life's going to be. And it's so not true. It doesn't have to be like that. Um, I unfortunately have dealt with most of this stuff myself because I was a very sick kid. And so I've done most everything that I talk about in the book to myself, well, actually everything I've talked about in the book, we talked about a little bit like intermittent fasting. Um, that's something across the board that I use. It's a simple thing with some of my clients and just like the Mexican community, just not having to eat breakfast, you know, because they think breakfast is the most important meal, but then they're eating this like very sugary cereal with low fat milk that is just sugar and water, you know? So just it's all about education and just learning and taking a step back to look at, okay, what did your great grandma eat? You know, why did she live to 96 without any issues? Why was she not overweight? And they're like, oh, well, she eats slow cooked meats and bone broths and, you know, fermented foods and vegetables and lots of lard, but it came from good sources. So I kind of just talk about, and that's in every culture, right? Like these, if you look at what their great grandparents were eating, it's high quality, but it's things that took time. Yeah. And a lot of older cultures fasted. Oh, yeah. Break fast. Yeah, breaking the fast. (laughs) Breaking the fast. That's where it comes from. So you had this connection to your family Mm -hmm. um, in the Mexican culture. You then were also learning more about ketosis and kind of healthy ways of eating. Mm -hmm. And you were able to blend those two kind of passions and and make this book out of it. And did you start to then, like, uh, what what have been some of the um, recipes that you've done? What were some of the kind of early meals that you were making blending these two uh these two worlds together so actually we talked a lot about a little bit with peter atio um he called me up uh, if anybody doesn't know him he's a yeah. doctor and you have some podcasts with yep, him, so. yeah I've, I've, <laughs> he's uh from mdma to prison reform with peter atia it's yep. one of my favorite episodes <laughs> ever uh, but yeah i went on a hunt with peter this last winter very smart guy. Yes, yeah. very smart guy. Frightening, frighteningly intelligent. <laughs> yeah, he's you know? taught me a lot. But he called me up one day and he's like, you speak Spanish, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I, we're going to do a pro bono project here and I need your help. So um, I talk, I have a little excerpt from his blog just writing about our experience. But what happened was, you know, he took the lab work of his housekeeper's husband who was having some symptoms but didn't know how bad it really was. And to make a really long story short, it was really bad. His diabetes was he had probably been dealing with for a really long time and he didn't know, but he didn't look like he wasn't obese. Like he looked super healthy, strong, you know, um, he was a construction worker. And so we, we sat down and we looked at his labs and he was like, we need to have a really strict diet. He needs to be in ketosis. Um, and you know, they don't have a lot of money. What does in ketosis mean? So it's actually when your body is utilizing ketones as a fuel source versus using glucose. So most of us, are using glucose because we're consuming carbohydrates and sugar, whether you're adding sugar to your beverage or whether, whether you're eating it through processed foods or whether you're just eating more carbs than you probably are utilizing. Um, so what happens is when we remove the sugar and the carbohydrates and add more fat, your body actually switches the way that it's uh, the metabolic pathway to using ketones as a fuel source. So you can test it through saliva and urine and different like parameters like that but it's not crucial like for him I just was making sure that he was eating um super low carb so like five percent carbohydrates um and mostly fat I had him doing 10 to 15 percent protein and then the rest were was coming from fat 
And it was really interesting. Within just three months, his diabetes was gone. Wow. So um, what were some of those meals that you were prescribing to him? So um, he did intermittent fasting. So his morning, he would have coffee with a scoop of coconut oil. And I, I do recommend like a stronger like MCT oil. But because of his financial situation, we had to be very cognitive of, of where everything was coming from. And yeah, I talk about quality a lot, but in this case, we couldn't buy everything organic because he didn't have that. So, but it still worked. So it just shows, you know, taking out the sugar is huge. So, um, yeah, it doesn't need to be an elitist diet. No. And so for lunch, because he was a construction worker, I would usually have the dinner the night before be packed. So they would make double. So, um, he would do like a stew or like a pozole. He really liked warming foods. Um, we would do, he did a lot more meat than seafood because seafood is pretty expensive. Um, he would do sometimes like canned seafood with some avocado oil, smashed up avocado and make like little wraps with it. One time a week I would let him eat some corn cause he did want a tortilla. Um, but basically he would bat, they would batch cook like a whole bunch of ch- uh, like a whole chicken. And then the next day he would have it in some broth for lunch with some cut up vegetables. Um, he really liked to do wraps. So we would use like coconut wraps or you could use nori, like a piece of seaweed to do that. Cause it's just super fast. Um, nori. What, uh, nori is just like a little piece of seaweed. Like they use at the sushi restaurants and okay. you could just buy it in packs. Huh, and that's high but, fat. It's not high fat, it's low carb. Low carb. Yeah, it's just high in minerals. So it's basically no carbs. And then you just use it like a burrito and you just stuff it with a bunch of stuff. And That's high in iodine. It is high, high in iodine. I remember it when uh, the tsunami came over after Fukushima from uh, Japan and we had a actual... A, a, tsunami here in the santa cruz harbor a bunch of boats got fucked up really? yeah i remember People, seeing footage of it yeah, yeah. it's crazy yeah, we had like a two two foot surge in san diego too all my friends were out surfing the spot called the river mouth here in santa cruz and they said that all at once the tide sucked out what and it felt like it was the lowest like negative 3.0 yeah low tide yeah. and everyone was like what is happening right now and uh Scary. and then the tide came up real high but um, all that is to say that people were afraid of uh, radiation, and iodine can help guard against radiation. So all the local stores were completely sold, sold out seaweeds. in seaweed. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really good for people. Um, we snack on it. We snack on it. We like you see kids it. now with like the little, the little ones that they can snack on. Um, but it's just such an easy way to have. You know, like you'll have leftover chicken or some leftover elk, and we'll just throw it in there with some avocado. You could put pot sauce. I usually put some fermented sauerkraut or whatever and roll it up, yeah. and it's like a little burrito. It's so easy. And Japanese ketosis <laughs> yeah, 2.0. Yeah, that coming that's out. Next, that's next definitely book. not very Mexican. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he he just focused on um, vegetables that he liked, which weren't a lot of them. So it wasn't a lot of salads and things like that. It was more like slow cooked um, broths with meat and zucchinis and cabbage and leafy greens he liked that more um cabbage is a good one too because it is a prebiotic so it feeds the gut so yeah he he said that the number one thing was that he thought he was going to feel hungry because he thought this is a diet and he that's the great thing about keto is because of the high fat it actually makes you feel very satisfied so you're not really ever hungry if you are you're probably doing something wrong right um so yeah so the high fat, moderate protein, and then super low carb is keto. That's great. Yeah, it's probably good to give people a lot of that food so that they don't feel that kind of hunger. Mm-hmm. Um, if people who aren't 
used to fasting um, have a very different relationship to hunger than those that do. Mm-hmm. Like if you've gone your whole life through these peaks and valleys of sugar highs and crashes and the second you feel hungry, you need to go get that burger. And like, it's very difficult to make that switch. Oh, totally. Whereas I, I know I have a number of friends who are in on the ketosis diet and they'll um, go on day long two day long fasts i just recently started getting into it but it's um, so much easier to fast when your body is using ketones efficiently and your body can go back and forth right so if you decided to load up on some carbs or pizza you know the next day if you fasted it's way easier to get back into burning ketones and you can feel that as you probably have now that you're starting to fast and at first it's not easy but the biggest thing for me personally and i've been doing keto on and off for the last like eight years is that you don't have cravings and you don't feel a sugar crap. Like you don't feel like you need to eat sugar to like make it through your day. And you, you just really don't feel hungry. Like you're, it's super easy to not eat all day. Yeah. It really changes your relationship with hunger. Mm -hmm. And then even when you do get hungry, you can kind of just notice it as it's like a mindful relationship with hunger. The same way like meditating allows you to be like, I see the anger. Mm-hmm. I feel the anger. I'm going to let it pass by like a little cloud. Like, oh, I feel the hunger. It's not like, I need something right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, go wh- for it. When I met Josh, we had just started dating and I was writing for Bulletproof, just some recipes. And I was like obsessed with Bulletproof coffee. We still are. We yep. still do it a lot. But um, he was doing like a couple cups of black coffee and then shaping all day. And by noon, he was like hangry. Like it's a real thing. Like he was angry and starving and you know, yeah, whatever you need to eat now. Like, I don't care what our plans are, or where we're going, but like, I'll pull into Seven Eleven and get something like just to it's going down. Yeah. 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 It's like when you take a huge shit, you're like, it's going to happen <laughs> yeah, I have no yeah. control. somewhere, but it's yeah. going down. Yeah. The black coffee and then surf and then, yeah. So, so you, do you now do like the bulletproof high yeah, fat yeah, coffee like in the morning? Years, yeah. Years. Yeah. Since we've, we've met, I've been doing bull, the bulletproof coffee. I swear by it. I, I love it. For me, I can have my cup of it in the morning and go till two o'clock without even thinking about food, um, you know. And you don't get the the coffee peaks and valleys because it's, it's like a longer sustained burn. Have you tried it? Uh, yeah, I have. I have, and um, I have not done. Got. I have not tried full ketosis. Okay, but, but have you just tried bulletproof coffee I've and tried then fasting? Bull- okay. Yeah, I, I love bulletproof, and most of the, most days I don't eat until one p.m. anyway. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's like yeah. us. I, it's so much sharper. Oh, yeah. that's like my crazy. Just energy sustain. Like no I can, I can go from 7am to 1pm and get so much done. Yeah. I'm so and much then, more efficient. Okay. I'm done. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's really interesting to notice how many years I went when I would wake up, I wouldn't really be hungry, but just because make I had yourself. done it my whole life, I'm going to go make a big breakfast yeah. and then my body would have to recover from the big breakfast and I would kind of have some brain fog, but do a little bit of work. And then and not I'd be- really any energy, right? It kind of crashes your energy. Yeah, because your, your body gets into the rest and digest mode. And yeah. then I would be hungry at 1 p.m. anyway. Again. Yeah. And then more would- hungry. Usually I'm more if I eat breakfast, I'm usually more I eat more. What is the day. up with that? It's so interesting. because yeah. I guess it starts your digestive system. Then it's like, all right, let's get this going. But if yeah. you if you, you don't start your, it, your body a break. Yeah. But yeah. the thing that here's the question, because if you uh, are eat, if you are drinking a bulletproof coffee, um, that's starting your je- digestive system. Yeah, and it's really interesting because like the bulletproof guys say no, and then the real extreme fasters say yes. Anything that has a macronutrient, protein, fat, or carb is technically 
starting your, like is breaking your fast. Um, so because bulletproof coffee is just, it's just fat, unless you're adding like collagen to it, which is protein, but it's just pretty much primarily fat. I, 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 you're, you're coming out of your fast, but if it's like one cup and it's not that much, and it's a teaspoon of butter and a teaspoon of, um, brain octane or MCT oil, I, I really think that your body's still like really burning and you do feel like that. So I, it's kind of individualized when I was checking my ketones and I, I was still in ketosis for a couple hours after, but everyone's really, really different. Mm. And I think you should just do like a straight fast. You could have a black coffee or some tea or just water. If you're trying to do like a 24 hour fast, I wouldn't do anything, but it's better than eating. It's not, you couldn't compare it to just eating breakfast. It's not eating breakfast. Yeah. And it's going to help people transition into fasting too. I do like matcha. I'll do like a high fat matcha. Just coffee has been making yeah. me have a little anxiety just because my workload's really big. Coffee right now, does create you? anxiety sometimes. Yeah. And it makes I've, me like, I've experienced Oh, if I that, just have I've, a black coffee now, because you're like, something's <laughs> wrong. I don't know what, but it's, it's yeah. there. There's, there's you're a like wrong, there's a wrongness in the universe right now. Totally. I can't put my finger yeah. on it. Right. Fucking crazy yeah. when you like, it, it's, it, it's, uh, you know, like the, you know, people who, uh, like, here's my analogy. Like, if you've never been on a surf trip, you don't know how good waves can get. Like, you just, like, your local wave, that's it, yeah. right? And, like, I, I always say, like, people who snap and are just grumpy locals are the ones that don't get to take those amazing surf trips. Yep. Because if you do get to take those trips, you're like, oh, I got a, an amazing world-class wave. Hey, no, I'm back here. You go. I'm great. Yeah. You, you yeah. clearly want it more than I do. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. And I feel that same way about people that haven't tried new diets like they don't understand how good it can be like that kind of mental peace that kind of energy and focus just because you've gone your entire life yeah. surfing your shitty local break you yeah. know i.e yeah. eating cereal and, yeah. and french toast every morning yeah that the energy level and the clarity and just my ability to produce with once we started the the, the bulletproof coffee in the morning and s- switching to the to the high fat like it's just I'm like blown away by it, you know. Are you a morning shaper? You go into to the shaping shack and it, it depends. Like it, it depends what the surf's doing at home. Um, but yeah, it. You're either in. Uh, in I get the there shop pretty early if I'm not going to go surf, yeah. and then you know I'm usually done by one or two, which is fine. And that is the other thing was the old schedule and how I'd eat. You know, okay, so I surf. I got two hours of shaping in. Oh, I'm hungry, and now I got to go eat again. But with this with the, this like lifestyle change, basically I don't even think about food till like one or two o'clock. And it's like, wow, I got four hours of shaping totally. in and now, yeah, I guess I'll go eat. You right. Know? Because it's not it's just like, a 30 minute meal. It's like the 30 minutes deciding like, Hey, where do I want to go eat? And then yeah. eating there, yeah. and then digesting afterwards. Like, yeah. and then all of a sudden that was your morning. Yeah, exactly. So it's been, it's been a, a good game changer, but yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> it is like, I like that you use the word lifestyle change because like I said, like, this isn't to me this isn't a diet and i think just increasing your healthy fats with intermittent fasting everyone's going to see a positive impact whether it's like for you maybe you're more um your your brain your brain function is sharper and so you're like for writing this book for example like when i was super strict keto i was i could write so i could just i'm not a writer so it was really difficult for me and i was so much more um clear in my thinking and being able to like get down my ideas than like if I wasn't. And so I would always be fasted. Um, I maybe would have a coffee or a matcha or a bulletproof, but sometimes nothing. So yeah. If you want to be a clear writer, you got to be a clear thinker. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And brain fog does not help. And, and focus like writing is one of those acts where, um, 
writing for 20 minutes, then stopping, then another 20 minutes, then stopping, then another 20 minutes and stopping, you're not going to get the same quality as if you just sit down for 60 minutes straight because your mind then needs to reboot into that creative space every Mm -hmm. time you stop. I mean, you probably experienced this shaping. Like you need to go deep in for a long time, which is a real issue today because people don't have that focus and mm-hmm. we're constantly distracted. And as yeah. a result, not only do you get less done, but you get worse work done. Yeah. 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 yeah the quality of your work suffers. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. So shaping, I wanted to, I want to hear a little <laughs> bit more about this. Yeah. Um, gosh. Uh, yeah. What do you want to know? So, um, <laughs> There's a lot of people what, doing it. What, uh, yeah, there are, there are. <laughs> what kind of boards have you been most excited uh, about shaping these days? Um, well, so born and raised San Diego, grew up in Pacific Beach. Um, I was blessed to be mentored by Skip Fry, uh, both in surfing and, and uh, in the shaping room. And um, fast forward, that was 20 years ago. And uh, there's one design in particular, the Fish Simmons, which is a, it's a, you know, it's a fish outline, but you can, I build them from five, five to 12 feet. And, uh, to me, they're like the most, they're the fastest boards out there. Um, it's got a single to double barrel concave with a lot of V and, uh, above eight feet. I usually make them, uh, tri fins. I just think they track better and, uh, go, go through turns better, but under eight feet, it's fun. I'll play with twin fins, high aspect twin fins and quads also. So you'll, you'll uh, shape those boards for bigger waves, like over eight feet. Yeah, you can, but you gotta be careful because it's got a 10 inch tail block. And so, Yeah the bigger it gets to a point where it's too much board, you know, you end up like planing out. Although I do have a couple friends that ride him at Hanalei and he, he goes in, in big waves over there and he swears by him, but I find I'll start to pull the tails in for the bigger boards, um, swallow tails or, I mean, I've got a couple skip gave me a, a classic pintail template from, I don't know, way before I was ever born. Do you ever shape like bigger wave boards as twin fins? Um, I haven't. No. Um, just because of it would skip out. Like I, Anthony Tashnik rides a twin fin at Maverick sometimes. Yeah, but he's a weirdo, so I, yeah. no one can really. I'd like, be really interested in seeing him. what that what that looks like. Um, you know, another person uh, I'm friends with, uh, you know, Patrick Trevs, and he did the movie uh, Idiosyncrasies, and in that, um, in one of the sections with Christian Beamish, you know, he took that Pat Kern gun and cut the tail off basically, and made it a twin fin, and he surfed Mavericks on it, and so. It's out. That idea is like out there floating around. I just I haven't seen any of the twin fins in person to kind of figure out fin placements and and what kind of size fins they're running. But do you think a twin fin is the fastest board out there? Uh, Maybe it's just so many other dynamics. There's a lot. Yeah, when you get to the fin discussion, there's a lot because you know some people say, well, a single fin's faster because there's less fin area, but then then they'll argue, well, the tri fin's faster because there's less fin depth and. You know, but definitely not having a center fin physically feels faster. Then the Elia guys will be like, yeah, what fins? Yeah, what Um, fins? The guys that can ride those things are 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 incredible. Yeah, Yeah, I've never, I've never been a flexible human to to be able to sit on my ankles like that and and stay balanced. You know, Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I'd it'd be I'd like to see what those boards look like. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think that uh, I mean as far as big wave stuff too though like you're going so fast anyway that 
in my mind, like what a lot of people will say about big wave boards is just having the fins be stiff enough so yeah, that they can track, so they can track through that bottom turn. Yeah, and not and have like a real small stiff kind of fin works. Yeah, works probably well. make it out of like G10 or something like that, real heavy duty fiberglass. Yeah, um, I guess like you know, I'm friend, friends with the Ropers, so I grow up with you know Joe Roper. Shout out to JoJo. Yeah, JoJo. I'm still trying to get that guy on my podcast. Oh yeah, I we'll, love JoJo. We'll put the pressure on him. Yeah, he's he's really turned out to be just a, a great human and you know i remember when he literally first started surfing and to see where he's at today has just been incredible but you know he works with rusty and it's fun because you know he he's been really into his big wave boards over the last like 10 years and and he and rusty you know he comes back and okay we gotta change this and it's cool because he's kind of gone to a split tail you know a swallowtail right which gives you a little straighter tail curve and then what's uh, the theory behind that well I mean, I find it like I, I don't ride, I don't surf big waves. Like I'm not, you know, yeah, but you, 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 out there, you, but yeah, but you understand the dynamics probably better yeah, than I do. For me, well, w- what I've experienced in, in, in around in the waves uh, at, at town is having with a split tail, you get a little straighter tail curve, and so with the quad fins, you just they set to me. They're closer to the rail, so they set in the wave more, so you get more stability than say like a, a classic single fin pintail, right? Um, so a couple, I have a, a six eight that I ride that's got the high aspect twin fins, and um, going front side, you're just so much more in control because you have that your toes right above your fin, which is closer to the rail, closer to the water, um, and uh, yeah. Um, but he's riding riding the split tails with quads, and and Rusty's a friend of of the families, and I've been able to go up there and talk to him about fin theories and stuff, and he's yeah. given me some. What a cool really place cool. to be able to grow up, man! Like San Diego oh, just has such a deep surf history yeah. there. Like, it seems really like every lucky. block there's like just this snapshot of oh, history. I mean, and, within a half a mile of my shop, there's probably twelve guys making a living trying to build boards. So it's 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 crazy. Yeah, and, and it really just like you, Santa Cruz here has a deep surf history san diego's got the same you know manufacturing and you know with gns being the 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 flag waver for forever right they've been around for 60 plus years now so yeah it's it's really cool it's cool to see jojo on his on his quest man he's doing it you know yeah flying from jaws to here and (laughs) fucking jojo roper dude that guy will surf a swell at jaws Take the red eye over to Mavericks, surf Mavericks, and then take the red eye down to Toto Santos. For yeah, the he, he usually swell. gets a big rock session in and then goes to Toto's for the afternoon. Like it's good on him. Get it, get it while you can, man. That's get all it, I gotta get say. Get it while you got it. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I love talking to uh, shapers like yourself because I've been a surfer my whole life, but really never put that attention into my equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I would, a lot of my boards were hand-me-downs from Nat Young. We were about the same size and okay. he was getting a bunch of Merricks growing up. Um, and he, he had great boards, but I never really took the time to think like, okay, what kind of surfer am I? Mm-hmm. What kind of surfer do I want to be? And mm-hmm. Santa Cruz here, like you grow, grow up, like it's, thruster shortboard high performance like yeah. you're riding a longboard what are you a fag like, yeah like, yeah, like, yeah. Like, whoa and it wasn't until more recently that i realized like whoa no this is a this is an art and mm. you can express your own um 
artistic values within surfing any way you want. So don't just limit yourself to just a high-performance shortboard. Yeah. Because also, if you start to ride this other equipment, you're going to be able to go back to your trusty thruster, and you're going to be able to surf it better. You're going to understand yeah. how you can push, you know, put pressure in certain parts of the board that are going to make it do different things. Yeah. And it's going to get you out of this routine mindset. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, just over the last couple of years, like Travis Reynolds, yep. uh, who's a great shaper, he's shaped a lot of my bigger wave boards. Oh, awesome. Um, and he shaped me a longboard, which I had never until a couple of years ago owned my own longboard <laughs> that was shaped for me. And yeah. now it's my favorite surfboard. And the amount of times that it'll get me out in the water that... Yeah, and days I, you just pass by like, ah, whatever. Yeah, I, I don't want to do it. Like, it just opens up this whole new world yeah. to me. And... Uh, Man, yeah, I, I've been surfing long enough that now for me it's just about like I want to maintain a good relationship yeah. with it. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I, I feel like I've, you know, I, I still want to go get good waves. I want to get better at surfing, but more than anything, I just want to have more fun yeah. doing it. And that's like it's kind of a trite thing to say. <laughs> well, but it's, it's why we surf, right? But it's <laughs> why we surf. But but you know that you can lose that spark of inspiration, and and for people that have been doing it their whole lives, like. Man, it's it's easy to start getting jaded to go. You know, if you've been going out to that same wave that you've been going out to your yeah. entire life, yeah. like you got to figure out what new ways to keep it special and, and fresh. Yeah, like well, you or know, you can just get super grouchy and start yelling at kids. <laughs> that's a lot that's of people the do. other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. which that. is a great way to do. Try it. not to be that guy. Um, it gets tough in a crowded lineup, though. But yeah, I mean, we you know, Skip's kind of our he's our compass. You know, everybody looks up to him and I mean he's 78 now he's still surfing three four hour sessions daily when there's waves he still shapes when he's not surfing and um I think one of the one of the cool things is you know he he started crafting the big boards like the 11 11 feet and bigger back in the early 90s and um I think I got on my first big board in 99 so yeah 20 years ago and that's something that's been fun for me as a shaper to hand down to people um, we go down to her, their place down in Scorpion Bay, you know, four or five times a year. And I'll, I, I always have a big quiver with me, right? Because we have a garage full of boards and, you know, it'll be knee high or whatever. And people are like, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not surfing today, whatever. I'm like, no, no, here, go ride this. And then they'll go out. And I've had multiple people the say. The 11 footer is so Yeah, fun. the 11 and 12 footers, like when, when, you, when you ride off a surf and then you go out and you're like, wait a second. Like I just went a half of mile. You know, I've caught 10 waves, you know, today that I wouldn't have caught. It it changes people's, you know, like you with your longboard. You know, yeah. you never had that sensation. You'd no like, bad days. I'm riding like, it off. You yeah. Know? But I will say that you can ride the big boards and, and bigger surf. They aren't just for, for knee high waves. But um, that's that's been fun. And I love crafting those, the big, the big boards, because just, you know, it, there's a part in uh, Thomas Campbell's movie, The Seedling, that Skip explains how he came to want to build these big boards because he was stale with surfing at that time in his career. And then he heard the story about, you know, the Duke riding a big 16-footer out outside Waikiki. And and then he, you know, I think Grubby had um, uh, molded a couple new big board blanks that Velzy and Phil Edwards had worked on anyway. So he started building it. And it like that's all he wrote, he, sa he says in the in the piece. You know, for three years, it's all he wrote was 11 foot plus boards and it revived his stoke. So getting like for me, when I craft the bigger boards, it kind of connects me to that kind of 
inspiration. Yeah. yeah. And then Skip and how he got influenced. So it's, it's cool. Cause it's kind of like keeping the tradition going, but also just turning a lot of people onto that, you know, cause they, they think, Oh, that you know, it's a big ho dad board for somebody that doesn't know how to surf. But then you get it's a guy hard, like CJ. You get a guy like CJ Nelson on one, and he's like doing full drop knee roundhouse off the tops on eleven footer. He's like, amazing. Yeah, yeah, he's a great surfer. So, anyways, that's I get pumped on that. Like you know, when I'm crafting a big board, it's yeah. Plus, it's fun. You know, it's a lot of work with a planer. Yeah, I probably walk three miles to finish one. Like you know. yeah, I hadn't thought of this connection, but you know, when you're out hunting and you harvest an animal and you're you're uh, field dressing it and you everyone has the thought I'm sure like wow people have been doing this for hundreds of thousands of years yeah millions of years like this was one of the first things people did yeah to be able to have the, that experience in the shaping room like wow people have been shaping boards like this you know not for hundreds of thousands of years but for people that, you know my great my grandparents my great grandparents like when people were were or riding the waves out in in Hawaii you know some of the first people like yeah that well, you, you get can to go hundreds of years there hundred, you know? yeah hundreds <laughs> of years there yeah you can get, get you get into a bit of that kind of reverence and and heritage respect you know and you're part of this kind of lineage that um, yeah is is real cool that we don't you don't have if you just get put on you know a 511 merrick well that, that you feel i like, never rode those i've never ridden a standard th- like shortboard thruster in my entire life because growing up like where i did you know with skip riding his boards and and bird huffman had the shop there he let us borrow whatever old boards i just never my friends got into shortboarding but i just like the aesthetics of longboarding and that's so that's where I came from, you know, mostly. But it was cool this year. We we went to uh, Waikiki, and it was the Surf Garage nose riding contest. And I took her over, and it was like pumping like six foot South Shore. Uh, I'd never seen it seen it that big, and uh, it was rad because they had a big board division. I had a twelve footer I had shipped over there, so I'm like outside outside Queens, and no one's around because it was like you know tons of waves. And I'm like this. It, it was such a real for me. It was like really special. To actually have crafted a twelve footer and surfed it there at Queens, and I got her out in a heat, and it, uh, it was it was pretty pumping. No yeah, no leash, <laughs> <laughs> no foot. leash on a big longboard, and I grew up running smaller boards. So yeah, that was, so you know, she cord. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's a little haired out, but um, yeah, it was really special just to be out and surfing out there. I mean, we love going to Hawaii, and my dad lives in Kauai too, so we're yeah. fortunate to get there. But so you've been uh, shaping for a long time now. Um, what is a piece of advice you would have given yourself when you were just starting out? Oh man, um, <laughs> pre-social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I what would I have given advice to myself? Yeah, just just try to have been way more humble. You know, just be humble, like. Don't yeah, just be humble. And and how about for someone who might be getting into shaping if they just want to start it out? Is there a piece of advice you might give to them? Yeah, learn how to sand boards and polish boards first. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> well, I just you know in the last you know so I've been building boards since 2006 as as like a business that I shaped my first board in '99. But um, you know there's a like all my crew are in their late 50s, early 60s, and all all the younger kids, no one's, no one's wanting to put in the hard work and, and learning. No one wants to start at the dishwasher to become the server, right? They want to go right to be in the head bartender Friday night. And it's like, you kind of, with the social media now, you kind of can do that. Like you can create your image and 
you know, you can buy a shaping kit online at, you know, whatever website. And yeah, it's you, just, you got a, you got the right filters. You take the right photos. People <laughs> think that you're the man. Yeah. So that's really <laughs> changed. And, and it, it's, it sucks. Cause you know, we, we stopped to see Travis the other day and he was saying the same thing that like young kids don't want to do the hard work. No one wants to learn how to sand or hand sand or polish. And so, both I think this community and San Diego are going to be in a big hurt in another decade because a lot of the older guys come from the, I'm not fucking teaching a kid to take my job era. Right. Like I earned this. I'm not going to teach a kid. Right. So there's like, it's, it's going to be scary in another decade, but um, yeah, just, you know, learn it all. That's kind of my Achilles heel. Like I've probably built 10 or 12 boards in my whole career start to finish. But skip was like, look, if you want to be a shaper, Okay, but if you want to surf, don't glass. Because if, if you try to do both, you're never going to be able to surf. Right. So I always had that in my gonna, back. Then you're going to hate surfing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's sad, man. A lot, of, a lot of guys don't surf, you know? And it's like, gosh, my model was like, I'm doing this because I want to surf, <laughs> you know? like Yeah. Um, but uh, but how, yeah. How is it uh, being around all the chemicals shaping? Well. And how do you deal with that? I mean, thankfully, like I'm out of that now i just took over the suite next to me and i built a big master shaping room and a little showroom um been selling boards online about the last year and uh so i'm out of that but yeah it's 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 nasty like i'd take this yeti thing like this would be my my water bottle and i'd open it at home i'm i'm upstairs above the laminating room which we have a full blower system and um but just being in the factory all day i'd open this and it would smell like resin inside at home he just did a heavy metals test, so we're going to find out how bad it really yeah. is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so I'm actually really, yeah, I'm really excited to get that done. But um, it's, you know... <sighs> Even foam dust, though. You're covered in foam dust. There's foam dust everywhere you, we go yeah. in our house. It's, so you know, and that's still toxic, it clean, right? But it, it's hard. It's right. hard. Foam right. dust sticks. If, if it's a Santa Ana, you can't blow it off. You have to literally wash it off. Right. You know? Yeah, but no, I'm, I'm always curious about just how people deal with it and different systems that people use because, yeah, a lot of people... Uh, run into health issues from yeah lifetime shapers yeah um i mean you know they activated charcoal yeah see that's what's rad so here you know with yeah. tori she's like <laughs> yeah. here we're gonna get you on a deep de- uh, detox program you're yeah. gonna go on chlorella we're gonna take charcoal biocidin, biocidin yeah. like so i'm like all right i'm, I'm golden i got the plan you know that's great that's so great so, but no it's it's something i always am worried about and it's really interesting that you brought it up because even the foam dust, I'm like, that's still some kind of chemical, right? I don't know exactly what. Well, makes it took it a lot up. of chemicals to make it foam yeah. dust, right? Yeah. Like, you know, isocyanates and all the bad stuff that just goes straight to your liver. All the shit you can't pronounce. I yeah. know, right? It's so scary. Yeah, it's you know, but at the end of the day, you know, people tried like when Clark shut down in '05, like people tried to come up with all these alternative resins and and you know, a well-built board still made out of the old school technology, unfortunately. You know, I know epox, there's some epoxy poly combos that are pretty good, but you get guys with that work with uh, epoxy and, you know, they're going to the hospital with like full body breakout like rashes because they're allergic to whatever's in uh, the EPS stuff. So it's, it's tough. Do you, you know? do all poly boards? I, yeah, I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm the old school uh, yeah, poly, polyester resin, polystyrene. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on kind of the next big thing in um, surfing shaping, as far as materials being used or um, anything that you're seeing that is exciting coming uh, I, out? I mean, I th- I think f- still fin technology. To me, fins are still going to be 
you know, either materials. I work with a lot of um, uh, Marlon Bacon, uh, great guy, great craftsman. Um, he builds uh, fins for me out of bamboo. Um, they're light. They pop. I mean, you know, they they do things in in the water that like a normal fin won't. I mean, just the way they flex and they pop back. Um, but I, you know, I don't know. I ha- I haven't. You know, with running the shop, I have a business partner that helps me run the the glass shop. Like the last four or five years, I've just been like in this kind of cycle of, you know, just trying to build a better board every day and then trying to grow the business a little bit that it takes me on trips to kind of stop and think outside the box about stuff, you know, if that yeah, makes any sense. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It takes that extra space. Yeah. And you're more excited about hunting anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, archery, <laughs> man. I'm like, let's, yeah, let's, be, be real. let's be honest. I got, I got a block in the shop. I've got one I can shoot out of her office into the garage, <laughs> you know, so it's, yeah. Do you, and do you have uh, any hunting trips coming up or any, any dreams on the horizon? Well, nothing solidified yet. Um, I think next year, well, I'm definitely going to put in for elk tags in, in um, a bunch of different places, but um, definitely want to try to line up a Maui hunt, you know, in the spring sometime, either February or March. Um, and uh, God, I'd love to just go back to Paso and try and get another pig. Yeah. Um, her cousin's uh, husband, uh, who's in, in our wedding, uh, hunts a lot, like the Hunter Liggett area and and in Paso, and so we're talking about maybe trying to do a late season somewhere in Arizona, or yeah. yeah. But it's it's hard because like I want to plan it, but then like we had so much planned this year for like up until our wedding, our honeymoon, that it's nice not having next year already like yeah booked out. Yeah, Hawaii is just so amazing for hunting because you can do it all year long, right. and there's so many animals, and you, they need to get taken care of. Yeah. Um, California, yeah, it's it's tough being a hunter in California and trying to pull it off. I've been I've been doing my darndest. I I spent a number of days up here in the Santa Cruz Mountains, um, trying to shoot a blacktail deer. Okay. Uh, just in the last couple months, that we have a, a fairly short season for blacktail, but okay. um, they're they're up here. And, yeah, we uh, saw some deer. Bonny yeah. Dune. Uh, we got a lot of mountain lions though. Actually, that that take out a lot ah. of the deer. Um, at least yeah. So so it's. It's tough. It's different. Oh, it's different kind of hunting. Don't like, start with predator hunting, man. You're going to open up a very polarized topic. Yeah, no, I'm just saying. <laughs> Killing kitty cats? You not, can't not do the, that. Yeah, not the, not the kitty cats. <laughs> no, but it's just I, I, you know, and one one thing that's because um, it uh, it was really cool to hunt in Santa Cruz in the redwoods. Yeah, so like man, it's cool. I'm 15 minutes away from my house right now. That's really cool. Doing this this activity that I'm really in love with, and I didn't need to take a plane flight. Yeah. Yeah. anywhere um it's a with, little tougher for us down in san diego yeah you know we so, gotta, did you so see any? um we saw pl- plenty of deer no uh no males that we were allowed to shoot they, they need to have the two prong okay uh okay two prong antlers and, and that, that means they're older means they're older yeah it means that like they at least have a, a spike in in it so it goes out and like feel like like a like a peace sign uh-huh. you yeah. know on their yeah. antler like that's means that they're Mature, mature enough, enough that you can to, shoot. Okay. So that those are the only deer that you're allowed to shoot, and you're only allowed to shoot them for um, I forget exactly the dates, but it's, it's summer dates, you know, okay. like August yeah. time. Um, but it was cool, you know. Spent another number of mornings out uh, on some different properties, and um, you know, had a, a lot of uh, herds of deer, but they were all does, unfortunately. Huh. Um, but uh, the thing that's di- you know, Santa Cruz 
area like in the redwoods you can't spot and stalk you have to just sit there and wait and hope that something comes to you yeah because they'll spook so easily and everything around here is it's so loud and you're just dense right it's dense and you're just like crunching through the forest which makes it a lot less fun than in a, an area where you can spot and stalk yeah. and, and you are, you're able to walk around and actually cover some ground. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, it's, it's, it's cool, man. I mean, there's a, having this podcast, I've noticed that there are a lot of people that love surfing and hunting. Yeah. Um, and cooking and, and eating. And <laughs> cooking and eating. Yeah. It's one yeah. thing surfers love. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to do more. Uh, I think it'd be really fun to, to do like a surf hunt combo trip where you actually try and like surf real hard out there because there are a number of spots like hawaii is the obvious one but yeah. also like up in oregon and over new zealand yeah and, new zealand know, new zealand's got amazing waves yeah. and they have you know the uh the big red stag red stag yeah. mexico mexico yeah there's good hunting down there yep that would be fun yeah That's, we saw down well, I'll, just I'll outside chef. of scorps five minutes like five minutes down the road we saw a big four-pointer there you know it's they're down there yeah yeah, it's it's uh, adventures. Yeah, I think Hawaii, man, that that would be a killer one. We got boards stashed in Kauai and Maui, so we can make it happen. Yeah, <laughs> Tori. So is your book out now? Yeah, you can find it on Amazon and and here in Santa Cruz, it's at a couple of the local spots, at New Leaf and Stripe Downtown. But yeah, Amazon is just called the Mexican Keto Cookbook. Amazing photography. Yeah, actually, a Making friend it. and a surfer from growing up, he shot it, uh, Eric Wolfinger out of San Francisco. He did like Tartine and Bennu and some big, big cookbooks. So I was Congratulations. Lucky to have them. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, this is a big undertaking. Yeah, so I, four I, years I'm, of my life. <laughs> I'm friends with an author, and, and he's the, the best advice he said don't write a book unless you absolutely have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you had to write this one. I did. I've, have you given it to your grandma yet? Oh, my grandma is the most excited about it. Yeah, we did a book signing at my our local little like old school family owned bookstore. I did I just did it for her because I, you know, it's just people still don't go to bookstores really, and she was so excited. <laughs> Good for you. So well, I'm working on getting it in Spanish too. So that's okay, the next step. So uh, and 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 where can people uh, find it? Did you say what's the best well, it's, way? It's just on Amazon. Amazon. It's okay. actually 15 bucks right now for the holidays, which is super affordable. Okay, let's leave people with one more recipe in it. What do you want to leave people with? One of the favorites. One of the, what's a favorite recipe in here? Do a salsa. Yeah, I'm actually teaching a class tonight. I'm doing the habanero. It's called habanero cheese salsa, but there's no dairy in it. And you roast habaneros, garlic, onion, and red tomatoes till they're like super charred. And then you blend it with pumpkin seeds and olive oil and a little salt. And it becomes like a thick, creamy, like spicy, but more creamy sauce. And it's just really amazing. Amazing. <laughs> and where can people find you? Uh, joshhallsurfboards.com love it you guys are great I really appreciate you uh, coming you out and what a wide ranging yeah. conversation and similar interests that we have yes. yeah so Small may we uh, cook many many meals <laughs> uh, get many barrels and shoot many animals together in the future yes. let's do it right on guys All right. thank, thank you. you very much Thanks, Kyle. That's our show. If you want another podcast about hunting, check out episode number 158 with Ben Greenfield, Chris Ryan, and Mark Healy. Here is a quick clip from that episode. Like last night, we everybody got dropped off in a different place. So Kyle, T-Man, and Chris Ryan were on top of a mountain somewhere. I got dropped off 
on the on the beach because I I was done hunting. I I shot all the animals that I had wanted to hunt, and I don't want to hunt more animals than I can actually eat. And so I got dropped off with the, the wonderful Mark Healy, like one of the world's best spear fishermen, to teach me how to spear fish well for the weekend. Once again, that's episode number one fifty eight with Ben Greenfield, Mark Healy, and Chris Ryan. That's it for now. I am off to Morocco. As always, you can shoot an email to info at kyle.surf if you have feedback on this show. And if you would like to sign up for my weekly email list, I write a short story every single week and send it to your inbox. No spam ever, only great stuff. You can head over to kyle.surf to check that out. Hope you all have a beautiful day. Get out in the water, keep enjoying yourselves, and hope you all have a happy new year.
Liverpool Reichstag stepping in time We saw the Weimar round to the death of 39 We saw the ice packs slipping See you put a new jack face on the ocean in the trees We own a street near Hollywood and Vine We got three foot ties, the ocean's rising on Float down Vine with my three foot ties, moon yeah Most times, most of my rides Call me three foot ties, oh yeah Many, many, most times, most of my rides Call me three foot 